You're listening to Tove, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, this is John Spirosavet and Elliot Goldberg. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Hey, hey, Elliot. For folks who have been listening to the podcast as they have been released, thank you for your patience. It's been a, a few weeks. I have been, I've had a little travel, including to Israel, which was wonderful. My travels got extended as I developed a mild case of COVID. So you'll hear me potentially sniffling or if you, I should say if you hear me sniffling or coughing, which we'll try to edit those out or if my voice gets a little weaker or less pleasant at the end, that'll that'll be why. And uh, Elliot, you said you're coughing a little too. So I am. I, I picked up just a regular virus a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> well, you should so feel better. Right. And uh, yes, yes, and a tremendous, I want to give a tremendous ethical shout out to everybody whose contribution to vaccines and things made it so that my illness could be mild and and only inconvenient and not and not terrible. It's a theme they don't pick up in the show. Like, do you get sick in the afterlife? What's Ooh. the name? They have physical bodies with their, they're not just souls. I wonder. Anyways, that's a different. Well, it is It is interesting because just I was thinking about, it, this was recently the 50th anniversary of the beginning of the sitcom MASH. Were you a MASH fan? Yeah. And you know, Right after the nightly news, we watched Walter Cronkite and then we watched MASH. Right? Oh, yeah. Over dinner. And, you know, so MASH for the for the younger listeners was was set in a, in a medical unit during the Korean War, and and you know every so often somebody there got a got a cold. That I think that that came up from time to time. It was mostly other people who were sick, and that was their setting. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So this being the season-ending episode for the podcast, we're talking about the last episode of season three. Elliot, I'm going to ask you if you want to make some some educated guesses. We have had eleven participants in the the podcast, and I'm going to throw in, in addition to the rabbis, Eric Kissack, the Good Place editor. And uh, do you want to make sort of a percent guess on how many of the, or either percent or how many of those 11 you think said that they are most like Chidi? Was it, I've listened to these episodes. I didn't keep tabs, but I feel like it's like 70%. It's like 70% Cheaty and 30% Eleanor. Wow. So, so interesting that you would say that. And again, for anybody who is betting the, the over-unders on this, it was actually only only six of 11, a, you know, 54% who, who said Cheaty, which is about what we had in season one and down from season two. You know, whatever you make of that, obviously, it's not statistically significant sample of random people who have been in these discussions. And the yeah, actually, it was it was this season, Michael, as the distant second of of yeah. two, and one person who said Simone, which was like a write-in vote, which I thought was wow. uh, was interesting. And then, uh, but the Eleanors were down a little too from from the previous. And then, uh, how about in terms of who do you think people most wanted to be more like? I know there were lots of shout outs about Jason seems to have so much fun. I'm in that camp too. (laughs) Yes. If only we could all be like Jason, wouldn't life be so much fun? Who we want to be like? I think Michael and Eleanor get get those votes. Interesting. Well, Eleanor did get the the more votes, although it was a very even-ish split really, or just edging out Jason there, four to three. And the Eleanors were up a little bit. The Jasons were about the same. The Michaels were were kind of down really. Hmm. 
And uh, when we get to next season, I was thinking, I've been assessing whether I'm a little more Michael-like than I have said I have been in the past, but uh, we'll see. So there you go. So for those who- I like the Simone shout out, because Simone, in the first episodes of next season, like has like a unique take on this whole world the show has created. Like, <laughs> I wonder how many Simones there'll be as she get you know in, in the next four or five episodes. Oh yeah, we'll have to make that a more explicit option. We had one semi shout out to Sean because Shmuley Anklowitz's English name is Sean, so but he didn't commit to being to being Sean. <laughs> so this episode uh, was good. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah, it was a good season. This I really loved this this season, as I've said before. So, Elliot, why don't you give us the summary of this season-ending episode? Sure. I have to say before I do that I I feel bad about the summaries because for some reason, in the first when I've co-hosted before, I've failed to read the part with the writers or the directors, which some of my fellow co-hosts have done, and now I feel like I'm in a position to like do better. I do Chuva. I'm in the same situation. And this time I'm going to give the credits and not just do the summary. <laughs> well, so I thank think... you for the opportunity to live the lessons of this show. Well, I think actually you might be taking the blame for something that's my fault, because I know that in a lot of podcasts about episodic television, they do do this. And I don't think I began to provide these as I've been editing the summaries oh, until right. the season. So well, I think I'm happy to own it. I'm happy to share <laughs> it. I just feel good that now I get to say chapter 39, Pandemonium, written by Megan Amram and Jen Statsky. Megan, I think. Oh, Megan. see, then we'll find out. See, I, <laughs> I got to give her credit, but I said her name wrong. Megan, and directed by Michael Schur. And here's the summary. Forced to pose as the architect for the new neighborhood, Eleanor welcomes the first of the new humans selected by Sean. John turns out to be a gossip columnist who had tormented Tahani. The second new human is Simone, who the judge rules may stay, but her memories can be erased back to before she met Chidi. Chidi believes that even if Simone doesn't remember him, his relationship with her will contaminate the experiment. So he asked Michael to erase his memories too from that period, which means he will forget Eleanor. Michael puts together a nighttime screening for them of a film about the many iterations of their relationship. And Chidi tells Eleanor he trusts her to protect him and that they will eventually find each other again. Eleanor asks Janet the meaning of everything and Janet says there is no one answer other than to embrace the euphoria of love in the midst of the pandemonium of life. Then Eleanor opens the door to the waiting room and welcomes Chidi. Hmm. So I have to say, I did really like this episode. And I think the second to last episode in the season, I, I liked a little less because, you know, you do a lot of plot, plot work in order to get the season to end and tee up the next season. And uh, I thought last episode was a lot of that, that business. And this, this had this too, but that's, it's really was focused. They didn't, they didn't bite off too much. And I will say I am a crier, even when I know that, you know, crying is, you know, possible or that I've seen something before, but uh, absolutely during the film montage, I was, I was weeping in wow. the, in the conversation. Just like Eleanor. See, you're an Eleanor. Yes, yes. But I more I don't know, I don't I don't fight the I embrace it. Sometimes members of my family don't want to be seen with me at movies that they think don't deserve the crying and <laughs> but and while I think I probably like last season's finale 
a little better, the kind of tshuva of Eleanor with the, you know, the environmental work and all that. I, I, I really liked this episode. Yeah. I really like this too. And I think it, it, it really sets up season four, which is like the first season was my favorite and the fourth season mm. next. So like I had to get through these middle, which are important, but I really like where we're going. It's sort of a cliffhanger, but you know, you know, there's no surprise coming. And then you just have to see how it's going to play itself out. Yeah, I, I think, as I said before, I watched these, the last episode, this one, and the first, you know, bit of next season kind of all at once. And this is really season three, I think, probably my my favorite season. And mm. so I like how they, they wrapped it up. There was some funny stuff. They played this thing about shipping Drake and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Not only was it funny the first time, which I think was when John asked Janet as like, since she knows everything, if she could nah. say what like the best celebrity hookup was. But then when they, they paid it off later, when Tahani took credit for, <laughs> for yeah. getting them together. Yeah. <laughs> Although I felt like I liked the joke, but I felt like, oh, come on. You didn't have to echo this. Like, I wanted a new one. I wanted a new joke there. Because <laughs> they've done that. They've done that, you know, that that motif before of, you know, playing back a joke. And I was like, oh. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's still good. It was good. I didn't expect it. I thought that was. You know, I wonder what Blake has to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought. Jason had some great moments. Well, my favorite had the the best cheaty follow up is the you know are you going to remember that time we ordered the pizza and he has all the questions <laughs> and he gets to but you will you'll remember pizza and then there's the classic cheaty response which is you know do you mean am I going to remember what pizza is <laughs> you know the way he say it, he says is in such a classic cheaty way. <laughs> So that's like a great Jason moment, but combined with the great cheaty response. I it love was, that. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. And especially because it came on the heels of, and how are we going to fix Simone if she's sleeping? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like when Sean is, when they, I think when they're discussing the his Simone move and he's What's that thing you humans say when you're playing chess and you trap your opponent into an inescapable position? Oh, right. Eat butt, <laughs> eat butt you ding-dongs. Yeah. <laughs> right. I waited through because it right in my head was, checkmate, checkmate. Yeah, checkmate. yeah, yeah. It's, it reminded me of the line from previous where, where was it where Sean was saying in some previous episode that, you know, them, you know, it's like, that would be like preparing for a test and then getting good, getting a good grade on it or something like that. Yeah. I just like, chess is such a, a good metaphor for life and it's used in lots of literature and movies like there's chess is a it's in the it's in the cultural canon to draw from and they just teased it i think they did that twice i don't know if the second one i don't know who would pick up but i liked it that and wasn't a funny moment but when her asked for the answer she asked janet for the answer and so much of the language there in my memory, anyways, echoed Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because there's a thing about, like, just crunch the numbers, Janet, and give me the number. And, like, you know, and I'm waiting. I was waiting for Janet to say 42. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is the answer from that book. Right? And there the issue is, well, we know the answer, but it's the we don't have the question. <laughs> that was the, that was the, what happened there. But I was, I was, I, I don't know if they were teasing it there. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's very nice. It felt like they were teasing Hitchhiker's Guide a little bit. Yeah, they're good at that sort of misdirection thing. And then where you wonder if they're going to deliver what you expect or which which other rail they're going to hop onto next. And, you know, in the middle of Janet's really earnest response to that, which, you know, which had just that little light, earnest, good, whatever, good place version of earnest tonal music behind where she was talking about, like, you know, if the, if we all, if we knew exactly how the universe worked, that wouldn't be special. It, she said, it would just be machinery fulfilling its cosmic design. That's a good expository yeah. line. It would just be a big, dumb food processor. Yeah. It's like, whoa, very nice. Yeah. yeah. I like the clothes too, because Eleanor thanks her and says, you're, wait, I forgot the, Something like for a robot, you're a... Oh, yeah. For a robot, you're a great girlfriend. That's it. And Janet says, of course, but it's a little twist. Like, I'm only one of those three things. Yeah. And that carried me... Like, I think about, like, you know, from the West Wing podcast, they talked about the frontal. It's when, like, the noise <laughs> continues after it blacks out. Well, this one wasn't the sound effect. It was as it went to the credits, I'm thinking, wait, what's the third one? <laughs> Because it took me a while to separate girl and friend. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She was saying, right, I'm not a robot, I'm not a girl, but I am your friend. I thought that was a new ripple, and especially on this theme of relationships and partnerships, like Mm, mm. Janet was acknowledging, despite the fact that she's not human, (laughs) she's she's Eleanor's friend. And that's happened over the last three seasons. and, And that's part of the miracle of, of their relationship, right? That they bridge this gap, I guess. It's not even between species, but yeah, actually, yeah. And it, sorry, I interrupted you there. No, fine. Go yeah, ahead. I think in season three, the, the Janet taking on more of that human relation ability is a really neat dimension, and both in her kind of ability to be a a, a flustered person when she's frustrated about the Jason stuff, and and. I think really for Michael in the the last episode and for Eleanor now, a really nice, a really yeah. nice play. And then she sort of caps it off with that that great thing about in the words of the man that I love, and she does that Jason <laughs> Faith the sideways, you know, I got you, dog. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, ah, oh. that was a good one. I actually think I liked your mash reference. There's a way in which like, but they're different characters, but like Radar and Mash. At the beginning was like a gimmick. You know, he knew what was going to happen right before it did. And he had like, they were just gimmicks. And then over the seasons, Radar became like this emotional character and part of the, what moved the show forward. And Janet was a gimmick at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, the all knowing, all powerful, you know, computer type thing in the afterlife. And now she's a character. There's depth and emotion, complexity. Mm. I like that journey that that she's been on. Yeah, I think something that we haven't really focused in on, and we we won't this time, but I think we should next season is is thinking about these these other beings, the the, the godly ish beings, as characters, and sort of thinking in Judaism too about how we we do portray even the divine sometimes as a character who has emotions and is human like in certain ways, and like how does that help or mess with sort of ideas of the way the way yeah. philosophies are supposed to work 
But in a totally different thing, the when Michael is sort of reflecting on how this is working to have Eleanor be the posing as the architect, and, and he says, you'll be the face of the operation, and I'll be the mastermind behind the scenes, like Cyrano de Bergerac, right. which she doesn't get. And then he says, like Chris, like Chris Jenner, and then she gets, oh, right. <laughs> And I, I, Cyrano de Bergerac was, that was exactly who I thought I was at one point in, in high school. I was the invisible, not worth looking at uh, guy behind the scenes. Not some, well, I don't know. There were a couple of times I think I tried to help somebody, you know, pursue their relationship interests. But it was, well, as soon as I saw that play for the first time, I was like, ah, I love that. Yeah, that was a good reference. I like the other, let's, let's brainstorm. <laughs> says Michael. We'll throw. I've never thrown pencils at the ceiling and gotten them stuck there doing brainstorming. But I guess that I've never worked in a corporate office. That that must be a thing that people do. But there was the and you'll say something and I'll look at you and say, "Wait, see that again." <laughs> and like that. But then Chidi just shuts him down. Like somehow Chidi's like, "No, I'm ahead of you, Michael. I figured this out. There's no way out of it." <laughs> Yes, but, brainstorm. Uh, Once upon a time, I don't know, in our environments as educators, it did seem like for a time brainstorming was the solution to to everything. There's more literature about how brainstorming actually, in and of itself, shuts down more ideas than it opens up. Ooh. The new thinking is before you brainstorm, everyone has to do their own self-right. Because the study, they've done studies and said the first thing someone says in brainstorming, like, closes off the whole possibilities of the conversation Mm. and people start around those ideas and it takes you in one direction. But if everyone gets a chance to write their own answers to the prompt first, then there's more of a chance you'll get diverse responses and things come out. So there's brainstorming since we started with brainstorming has gotten more sophisticated. Wow. Uh, So one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you about this episode, Elliot, is you and I have both been involved in, and you even more so than me, as as architects. You're a, a, a Jewish summer camp person, and then we're we're in on the creation of Jewish high schools, as as was I. And it's not so much just the idea of trying to create a neighborhood, so to speak, which had you know certain idealized elements, but really sort of paying attention to to the relationships that could form in that environment. And also you as a, as a Talmud teacher too, sort of thinking about the idea of chavruta and of like deliberately trying to match people up, you know, in order to not only learn a cognitive thing, but presumably to help each other become or come into their own. So, so I thought we would be an interesting pair to talk about some of these themes of, of friendship, which kind of present both as the, the cheaty Eleanor thing, and then the and then the counterpoint, which is really the Tahani John situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my my first thought is about the difference between the settings we've worked in and what's on the show, which is that we as educators try to be a lot more transparent to the people who come into the communities that we're building. That there's a goal here, which is Jewish identity acquisition. You know, commitment to our people, religion, culture, and with that building relationship, you know, building a peer group, you know, you do it through the peer group and you, you get when you're done a peer group <laughs> from the experience and the transparency. I guess I wanted to start with that. Cause what, what made me uncomfortable in the first 15 minutes of the episode was right before in, when John shows up and before, you know, you know, that 
he's there to derail the experiment. I'm like, okay, they have this guy who's going to rub them the wrong way and they have to manipulate him to get him to be better and he's not in on it. There can't be the moment where like the camp counselor sits down with him and says, you know, you know, John, you're a little annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Gossiping stuff. And maybe you'd have a better time in the neighborhood if you <laughs> softened it up a little. You know, that, that social emotional counseling, he's not going to get it because it has to happen you know, with the invisible hand. So I see that as different. And then I wonder, like the theme, right? The, the, the environments that we've been in lean on the group towards identity building. And another difference, I think it's, it's not about becoming a good person, not that we try to produce bad people, but it's about being identified with a particular way of living, a particular way of life, or a particular community that you're a part of. Well, we may be in this, you know, discovering either a, a slight difference of of language about something we we've worked on, or or maybe we disagree. But you know, I've thought about, for instance, socializing or acculturating teenagers into the best of being part of the Jewish people as being part of a team who has this mission of of good relationships and tikkun olam, of, of fixing the world, and that those yeah. those things yeah. are kind of blended. And which, just as I'm saying this, makes me think about kind of the the soul squad is, or, or the team cockroach is kind of like a byproduct of that in the in the good place they didn't say you know let's let's build a team who who help our, each other and others become ethical but that sort of becomes who they are and they notice that and i agree with you that in the attempt to solve this issue of if they tell people what's going on their motivations will get poisoned and they won't just become better because they too will then you know that was the whole the whole issue right. we need we need people who don't know that they're trying to you know save their souls so that they can actually like authentically save their souls. I don't want to lean like too hard on this, but I think like in a in a really good intentional educational environment, you know, you're dealing with people who are younger who even if you told them that this is what we're doing, that wouldn't you know wouldn't sort of get it. Like at the level of yes, John, you're annoying and maybe treat the other bunkmates <laughs> differently. <laughs> but and that that part they would get, but maybe there's a broad mission here, you know, not not entirely sure. And I think part of the the premise of this revision of the experiment is to say that we're going to make this different from what they lived on earth. So we're going to try to take away some of the complexities of life that that made them there will be no there will be no internet with gossip websites, so John, you know, won't have that pushing right. him in that direction. And so on the one hand, there's this removal of, of bad of bad environmental influences, but presumably they're going to talk to him and they're going to interact in some way. You know, they have to, they, they, they do seem to, without saying like, you need to do this to get more points, Tahani does legitimately have to figure out a way to talk to John that's like constructive and that's going to uh, be good, good for both of them, I, I guess. So they're not entirely um, removed from the. Well, I like that moment. That was my favorite moment of the of this episode when Tahani goes up to John and says, "You know what? We're going to be friends. We're going to put the past behind us. We're going to start over." And it's a piece of letting go of who you were letting go of old relationships, letting go of stereotypes. And like, I know for some people like stepping into Jewish camps is a moment where they get to do that. They get to leave their life and be the person that they want to be. And they're not carrying mm. them or something that happened in fourth grade that they can't get rid of or, but you know, the, the decision to sort of say like, I'm here, I'm part of the community. And that means every member of the community is my 
colleague, friend, something, you know, is, is a part. And mm. I owe something to all of them. That's part of the work that we did. And, you know, I, that was my favorite moment when Tahani, who a couple of episodes we've talked about, like I've been down on her for not getting past, you know, she did it a little bit when she would start explaining the napkins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> these, the, what, how I designed the napkins for the party doesn't matter. I'm going to leave now. I was like, that's good, Tahani. You, yeah, you caught yeah. yourself. <laughs> mid story and you you moved on but that was a trivial thing this was big for her to go up to him and say and, and authentic and i didn't feel like that it was about what she needs out of him for this experiment to work mm-hmm. i felt like she was doing it because she was in a new place and she could be friends even with this person who sean had sent to her to get you know to get her you know, she rejected the challenge. Sean, you're going to try to get me to fall apart because this guy's here. Well, no, I'm going to embrace him. And that's some of the social environment, you know, in Jewish educational teen spaces, especially. I mean, it should be in synagogue. It should be in adult spaces, too. But let's embrace everybody. We're going to embrace everybody and make them a part and have them be part of the group. And we have a responsibility to them, regardless of our initial response to them or if they rub us the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, that's really neat because I I think it was set up by that conversation. Wasn't it that Tahani asked Janet, you know, if I say this particular insult, you know, what are the chances that it will (laughs) scar him in a way he'll never forget? No, and that's really neat because you're describing a moment of chuva for Tahani, who, you know, we weren't expecting really to be the object of of this particular version of the experiment. And, uh, you know, I don't know, is she saying here that, like, I'm... You know, is she is she wondering? Not that she's doing this for the purpose of influencing John. I think is what you're saying, but that that maybe there's something about that that communication in his presence and to him that might perhaps elicit something back. Yeah. What well, was an authentic Martin Buber I thou moment? She saw him as a person, and not about their you know the transactional relationship that they had before. You know, they were in the good place together. It might be overstating that, but it felt like it felt like there was something deeper there. No, I think you're right. And the way that you said that reminded me of something I was I was looking at before we got on. There's a professor of Jewish studies at Mount Holyoke College named Lawrence Fine, who's done some really interesting research on deliberate spiritual friendship circles, I think, in mm. Jewish kind of mystical communities and and I was reading over this particular covenant that that he shared at a at a session I was at with him where people are saying exactly this like I'm going to before we even know each other like exactly we we each commit that we're going to treat each other like we exactly the way you said the well-being of everybody matters and mine isn't going to matter more than yours and I won't and I'll resist the urge to kind of take something for myself you know that makes me feel good if if I'm leaving someone behind in that, you know, I'll, I'll pass that up, whether it's a spiritual reward even. And so I really like how you put that in terms of how Tahani talks to John there. Yeah. Makes me think, I'm going back to something you said before, like that some of your focus, and I know this was the focus of your work in education and not just in education, but was you, the group as a, like a tikkun olam vehicle, right? That some of what we want to do is build communities that make the world a better place. And it's interesting because we saw that some in the good place, but focus more on when they were on earth. In season one, the cleanup after the party that went bad wasn't really about cleaning up the neighborhood. It was part of, you know, the Michael's plot. And then there's the community as the value that itself. And then there's, I, I think my work, not that I wasn't doing the Tikkun Lam work, but my work was about 
like the soul and the spiritual quality of life you know can can jewish living be meaningful to you individually can it provide you with meaning you know can you get meaning from shabbat holidays communities from social action all those pieces and it's that's what makes me wonder about the good place because the the ideal that they achieve when they get there like the real well the real good place has its own flaws we'll deal with that next season but but ultimately the good place they get to is just about I can sit in a chair and watch the sunset Mm. and like any sunset from any mountain, from anywhere (laughs) It's sort of just about this peaceful, relaxing moment. And that struck me maybe as missing, but you know, what Janet hinted at in her end of episode soliloquy is in a world that's random where we can't find the patterns and there are all these different people. Like there's a piece of me that resonated with that, where she started Mm. with, for me, what resonates with Judaism, like in a world where we're there's so many options and so many choices and we don't know what's right, there's all this stuff out there and there's chaos and everything. Like we need something to ground us. So Janet said what grounds us is finding, you know, a partner to love, right? Finding a a pair, you know, or a community or a family or whatever shape that is. But I think for me, anyways, what Judaism provides is structure in all of that. Now, Janet didn't go there, and I don't think the good place is advocating for that. But some of how we navigate, like the questions of we don't really know what this is all about. Like, given that we don't really know what this is all about, let's attach ourselves to a faith tradition that gives us structure and direction and helps create moments for us to interact. Mm. Where we can do good in the world, where we can have sacred community, where we can have a spiritual existence that gets us to focus on real meaning and not fake meaning. You know, I, I hate to say fake meaning because I, I don't want to be judgmental of people's meaning, but there's the goal of religion, I think, is like a deeper existence than mm. the goal of pop culture, which sometimes isn't about, or <laughs> commercialism, you know, or other isms don't while there might be some meaning you can find in it sometimes it's thinner janet started to touch on that in this episode for me at the end but then it made me think well they're after self-improvement to get to the reward place hmm. not about uh, the rabbis talk about this like like you know the lay the olam haba will be what it is then olam haba the world to come but let's focus like Let's bring the taste of it into this world. Yeah, the job is now. Yeah, and I think all along that's been sort of the our, you know our collective Jewish how it's different. Although I think what what Janet says does represent this idea that you know the point of this all is not it's not forty two forty two points or forty two million yeah. because even while they're in while they're sitting in that office there where their point is to try to guarantee you know, an outcome, Janet, Janet herself even says, you know, I who know as much as there is to know about the, the calculations can only give you this, this other thing. Yeah. So you, you have a text that relates to this friendship theme. I do. We're actually at a nice transition point for it. Cause for me, the other thing this show is about are the relationships of the people. And that's what I saw strong in this episode that except, I mean, Eleanor isn't totally fair where her assignment to Jason is. <laughs> you just do nothing. And he says, I hope not to let you down. But okay, other than, you know, that, because that's sort of a dig. But these four people, they're as diverse and different as they could be. That's part of what the magic of the show is. But they, through shared experience, 
deeply come to connect and care about each other. And you could argue even it's these four people plus Michael plus Janet. There's like six of them now, mm. right? The, these six, you can't say people, right? These four people and their friends, <laughs> right? Uh, these four people and a demon and whatever Janet and a Janet, <laughs> uh, you know, have this bond that make them who they are. And to me, like that's a really powerful thing that came out. You know, they're facing this challenge, like on some level. All right, it's going to work or it's not going to work. Sean's going to win or they're going to win, you know, and and they're going to keep fighting the fight. And even if Sean wins this battle, right, I guess at this point I believed there'll be some resolution at the end where, like, you know, our people win because, mm. you know, it's television. But anyways, I thought about this, you know, what makes this connection what it's like? And it drew me to a text from Avota Rabinathan, which is a collection of rabbinic interpretations and stories about Pirkei Avot, the part of the Mishnah that's ri- wisdom literature. And it, it it's a description, it's an unpacking of the phrase, which Pirkei Avot says, one of the things you should do is you should acquire friends. And then this text, text asks, what's a friend? Right? How do you, you know, what does it mean to acquire a friend? What does it mean to be a friend? This is the list it gives. This is teaching us that you should acquire friends, that you should be able to eat with them and drink with them. You should be able to read with them and uh, teach them and uh, sleep together and reveal each other's secrets. So I'm going to pause there. So there's some like everyday stuff, right? You're supposed to coexist. You share a meal, right? You share learning. You teach each other. I think, right? Sleeping together here, it is just like Lishon. It's not a, there's no sexual innuendo. It's right. You should be able to be room, right? right? You should be able to live with your friends, be roommates. Right. And you should be able to right, reveal, you, reveal your secrets to them. Right, and what kinds of secrets? Set Seter Torah, but Seter Derech Eretz, like the secret of Torah and the secret of like how you're supposed to live in the world. And when you're sitting and studying Torah together, and one of you makes some kind of mistake with the law, with what the law is, or you know stops in the wrong place, or says something that's pure is impure, or vice versa, or something that's permitted is forbidden. You make any one of these categorical, make some kind of categorical mistake. Your friend can point it out to you and set you back in the right direction. Bring you back to Shuva. And what this is what I like connecting back to the show that the text asks, how do we know that when you put your friend back on the right path, you end up with a schar tov, right? You get a reward. Hmm. So not, to me, that's an ego for the good place. They quote Kohelet, the ch- chapter four of Ecclesiastes, Tovim Ashnaim Minachad, two are, I think this verse has been quoted in, in this podcast, right? Two is better than one. Asher Yeshlam Scharto Bama, that, right, two together has a good reward for their, their burden, for mm-hmm. you know, their success. I love how this text depicts, like, what it means to coexist with people and to interact with people and what this ideal friend relationship is i just saw it emerge it's been emerging since you know the beginning of the show but there's something about how they're in this together now with this purpose and they have real deep meaningful relationships that made me think of this text yeah it's great and i it was a text which which ben gurin mentions back i think in the episode where michael is refusing to reboot janet's despite her glitchiness over Jason. And he's trying to explain what it is in that that great line of because friends. And I had never heard this before, you know, and, and hearing now the two of you describe it, it's such it is such a beautiful description and you delivered it so so beautifully too in what what has a lot of technical language, but you 
you really unpacked it in such yeah. a sweet way. Well, thanks. Um, I'll say the first time I taught this text was uh, right before my wedding. Right? There's a tradition that the the groom, and in the modern context, right, the bride and the groom will each teach something right in the morning, right before the ceremony. And the guests that are gathered are supposed to interrupt the teaching with song and dance. And uh, you know, it's sort of this battle between the person who's about to get married is trying to focus on this teaching and all their friends are trying to <laughs> sing and dance. But the, 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 the nature of the tradition is both, you know, brides and grooms should teach Torah on the day of their wedding, but also, you know, there's a lot to be nervous about that day. And so, you know, by adding a little silliness and rejoicing into the teaching, your friends like, make you calmer as you head off to get married and your life changes. But the first time I taught it was, you know, in that context of thinking about what it means to find someone to spend my life with, you know, and to make that commitment on that day. And so it's always had a sweetness for me because of, you know, when I found it and the first time I taught it, mm. I've been able to use it in lots of settings. So I'm glad that the sweetness is still there. Yeah. You know, and, and in the episode, we have these t- the two counterpoints we've been we spent a lot of time talking about Tahani and John, who have to start from a place of antagonism in order to, you know, for at least one yeah. of them to move toward this kind of friendship, or at least, you know, she's she's making that that offer. And and then we have Eleanor and Chidi who have, you know, who are these un, unlikely friends. And I don't know what the studies of friendship have been, like profound friendships, the kind of things that people say, oh, this friendship changed my life in terms of like, we're, we're people who were, you know, seem like from the beginning that we should be be friends, or if there's that sense of of just wonderful chance. Like, could anybody, in some way, what this experiment is suggesting is like, we could pick any people who are not, you know, Stalinist dictators or managers of boy bands, and and everybody will find at least one friend who's like the who's this person that the text is describing. And yeah. you know, you would not have predicted that that. I mean, you might have predicted that Chidi could become Eleanor's teacher in some fashion, but you wouldn't predict that that he would become essentially her friend, you know, in this profound. Well, her soulmate. Soulmate. Yeah. Which Michael just made up, (laughs) but it turned out to be, he was right. When you look at this, do you see this as, is this about soulmates? Like the one person or is this, you could have multiple friends. Like, I don't think it's exclusive or that there's only one. I mean, I'm going back to your theme from the beginning, like part of the design of like, Jewish informal education or Jewish educational environment, not just Jewish, right? Ones that emphasize peer group is you want to create this setting because the belief is that you bring lots of people together and you have the right setting and the right experiences, they're going to leave with these new bonds, right? And to me, the tragedy is when we miss because, I mean, I grew up Jewish summer camp. My closest friends are from Jewish summer camp, right? As a uh, I'm fortunate, you know, as an adult to be able to have some time during the summer to go back and teach at your summer camp and be in camp where my kids are now having like their experience. You know, we're a multi-generational family at camp, which most of the time is okay with the kids. But, you know, I always think about when I meet people who said, like, I went to camp for one summer and I hated it. Hmm. And sometimes they hated it because they were homesick or they went too early or like it ran- they were cold. You know, there were other things, but sometimes they hated it because the people didn't embrace them. And when someone falls through the cracks in one of these environments, to me, it's this big tragedy because they lose out on this. You know, one of the things I love about the camp that I'm, I'm working at right now is camp works really hard to try to make sure no one loses out on the experience and that we're on top of what's going on and in touch with 
you know, every camper and their experience so that might not be your favorite place. You might not come back, but that, you know, that you have a shot at this or there can be some interventions if you're not getting it. Because it's magic and we want everyone to experience it. And I think that in in these places, camps, and also the the schools that we that we help design, there were the opportunities for for letting the environment work and hoping it was set up with the right dynamics that that it wouldn't foster the the gossip columny you know type the gossip bad dynamics, but that it, but then also with the the little nudges that that adults you know can do or that architects can do, right. and 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 again, what you're describing and and the text you were teaching makes me think about how even in this episode, Eleanor has if to the people who like speaks to her in an important way, you know, Janet is important to her in that kind of encouraging way. Michael is, you know, Michael is a little more of that formal encouragement, you know, like I set you up, I tricked you into stepping into this role. This is what I do. I'm kind of that, you know, authority figure kind of yeah. mentor in a different way. And then there's Chidi. And and I was thinking as you were talking that this loss of friendship, you know, that, that Eleanor, you know, she's come this distance as a person and to then lose touch with or, you know, lose track of, even though she'll be able to see him, but not, but but lose the story of that friendship and what that means to her, like who who she is, her ability to do any of the other things that she's going to be called on to rise to the occasion has a lot depended on, on having that. And I think we, we, we are in this place where we, where we think so instrumentally about, you know, the people who taught me to do X, which I do, you know, in the world. And, and it's really, you know, we, there's no reason even when we're sort of featured when you're sitting behind the desk, that doesn't mean all these other people aren't kind of your, whether they're your functional team or not, they're, they're your, your spiritual team. And, and Eleanor is blessed with particularly, I think, in the show, having these, these wonderfully different friendships that are also sustaining yeah. to her and have helped her grow. And, and then Chidi too, because the truth is like, he, he really has grown into less the stomach achy indecisive yeah. philosopher and more the the person who's occasionally at least confident in his own judgment and to see the thought of him sort of being set back you know and he really relies on Eleanor to to feel I think like that he can be who he is and to see him to have to have him give that up you know because of that friendship being disturbed is, yeah. is a sad thing to to contemplate I felt it well I felt it because Eleanor was feeling it but the, the saving grace for them, which Chidi knows, and he says, it's and it harkens back to right, you guys talked about this in your when Mark Israel co-hosted. Like it's there's Jeremy Bearme, man. <laughs> like she feels the stakes because of the emotional place where they're in right now. But Chidi sometimes he knows there's Jeremy Bearme. It's like this is a short-term thing. <laughs> We have forever in the good place <laughs> and time isn't the way we conceive of it. So, okay, he's going to wipe my memories, but all right, then it'll be done. And then we'll be back in the dot of the eye of the Jeremy Barry and I'll be mm-hmm. okay again. Like, I think that's some of what holds out. It's like that. I don't know. In the, I'm trying to think of, I don't have the specific example, like in some superhero movie where like they download the something into a gem and, you know, they got to keep it. And then (laughs) the gem gets reattached to the pendant or whatever, (laughs) all the memories come back and, you know, it all works out. Like, you know, Chidi has that belief. Like he, he's bought into how they, you know, how the afterlife works and they're going to get through his sacrifice is a big one, 
but he knows once it's over, the sacrifice will be undone and it's worth it for the reward. I think uh, I don't know, that was my read. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. It's a good read. It, it, that's what's hard for me because I feel like, you know, again, this description of friendship you supplied from a vote to Ravi Natan really yeah. unfolds in time. Like acquire yourself a friend, first of all, means like you in in that time, you know, you have to yeah. locate a person, you have to cultivate, you know, and invest in that relationship. And then things happen. You live and this person, you know, you're confused and this person helps you back. And that's something that's a that's kind of a through line. And this is why I've I've been trying to embrace over the season the Jeremy Baramy that it's not just linear in that way but emotionally it feels to me in some ways like it is and i and i sometimes think about where i'm in life right now where i'm physically separate from a lot of the these kinds of friends who i've had in my life is i can i i feel myself at times i look at myself and i think where where am i and part of it is because you know where are they like right now it's one thing to and that's yeah. why it's great to talk to you, you know, from time to time from this and more right. often because because when we don't, then it's, you know, I think that that's, that's lost. And I think what Janet tries to say to Eleanor is, yeah, like th- there are those moments. You live for those moments in eternity whenever they happen. That's that's what there is. And, you know, I, that's to me, that's something you kind of say after the fact, maybe, and that could work. It doesn't, yeah. it's, it's hard for that's me. That's some of what I'm thinking about now, given this conversation is, right, there's a way, right, these, our four people have become like the staff of this new neighborhood. So I'm going to put it back in the camp scenario. Like that's a transition you make. When you go back to camp and you're not a camper anymore, mm. not, you're a counselor, which really means you're an educator. You start to have to make a choice like our our friends in the good place have made. Like, does the work of being an educator in this camp setting outweigh my desire to have fun with my friends? Mm. And not that they're mutually exclusive all the time, because your friends might be working there too. But, you know, it's like the classic first-year counselor's dilemma when they realize, if I'm going to do my job well, I'm going to have to see my friends less than I did when we were campers. And mm-hmm. am I prepared to do that? And sometimes the mark of a good counselor is the one who says, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give back to this setting that nurtured me. I'm going to nurture these new kids. I'm mm-hmm. going to take on my role. In some ways that's what Chidi said. And then that's also what you said, right? That's the, you know, <laughs> I was going to say the tragedy, but maybe it's a hardship, right? A hardship of being a rabbi is you spend these formative years when you, you're you transforming into becoming a rabbi in an intensive social environment where you're learning with a group of friends who are your nearest, dearest, lifelong friends in one way or another. And then you take jobs all over the country or the continent or the world and right, your soulmates <laughs> are spread out. And it's hard. I mean, I'm thinking about this a week from today. My class is invited back to the Jewish Theological Seminary. We're getting honorary doctorates for 25 years in the rabbinate. Mazel tov. Um, thank you, thank you. I said it not for the mazel tov, but like, I have really good friends there that I haven't been in the same room with in a long, long, long time. And right, I'm sure you have this experience too. And I'm so... The honorary doctorate is nice. It's a lovely thing. I'm glad we're getting together, but I'm I'm excited for the reunion and for reconnecting those bonds and to see like 
some of the people that I really lost touch with, I want to reconnect with because we're soulmates, right? In that we all chose to be rabbis and serve the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And in drifting off to different spaces, like we don't have, like this moment, it's a, it's a Jeremy Barry moment. We're going to mm-hmm. be in the dot of the eye. <laughs> two hours next Monday afternoon. And I'm really looking forward to it because of that connection. You know, and that's what I think our our, our four characters there, they're figuring out they like they want to serve. They want to change. They want to fix, right? They're trying to fix existence yeah. or post-life existence. And there's a cost to that. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to go on for so long. No, that's wonderful. That is you beautiful. could edit it down. <laughs> no, I know it's beautiful. And I think your 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 Jeremy Barry about that is right on the the line. It's not that you're gonna then resume this, you know, weekly thing with these with these people, though that that moment will be sort of exist in its own reality. It'll in some way, you know, be part of yeah. the be part of the flow, but that's no, that's really beautiful. You know, I think that that the layers of that here in the episode are that, on the one hand, there are these you know long relationships among our our six, however yeah. many Baramis that has been, and then that uh, this ability to say, well, I might also have 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 something new, you know, happen, you know, or not, you know, I might, I've got these uh, relationships, I might be able to have another one, which might not be as intense, you know, certainly, no matter, no matter how good Tahani and John, you know, end up, it's not going to be Chidi and Eleanor, that's for sure, but it'll, well, you never know, it'll be, I suppose, (laughs) I suppose you never know, but it'll be, it'll be, uh, that's the line there, the great line. You're so cute. It's gross. You disgust me. I love you. Get out of here. I never want to see you again. I love you so much. And uh, yeah. And uh, that was so well written, that little <laughs> monologue. Cause like, I mean, there's a subculture that talks that way <laughs> where things sort of mean the opposite of what they mean, except when they don't. And you're, there's the intonate. Like, <laughs> I had to, the first time I saw that, I had to watch it like six times to be like, wait. What's he saying? So I needed a translator. I thought that was a brilliant little monologue there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now I'm really chewing on what you're saying too about the the trade-off, you know, because the text from Pierre vote that you're you know giving the commentary on says you gotta find yourself a friend and and you gotta get yourself a teacher. And and the idea that's you know, we think of those as complementary things, but that sometimes being in those roles meet, you know, trade-off. You can't you you might have to live in more in one of those relationships more than than the other and and that there's a you know as you said that, that there's a on a cost but there's a something you know that that comes from the decision to move between that i, lo- I love how you how you put that mm. and you know in this case they're they're imposing this separation of eleanor and chidi which you know which seems so unfair it's not just you know they're they're not deciding it's good for the experiment to be I mean, they are. I guess he's deciding. It's good for the the greater for everybody. Is if I step away temporarily from this from yeah. this relationship, and that's which I guess is you know could be a dimension, an extreme extreme example of what you're of what you're saying. Yeah. And well, uh, I thought uh, the the summary we read said it much more softly. Like she says, if he has his memories, like it's not going to work. But like as he as I read it when he said it, as I read the show, not the 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 he was sort of saying i know me i'm gonna blow this <laughs> like i'm gonna i'm gonna out you know i'm gonna turn into cheaty <laughs> if i know if i remember simone i'm gonna turn into cheaty and we're all doomed hmm. and i need to step back and for the greater good for the good of the experiment because i i will you know because sean has out masterminded me 
<laughs> it was a real admission there. And he couldn't do what Tahani did, which was embrace the person who's there to annoy her. And his solution was, oh, I need, I need memory wipe. Yeah, but they both found a step to take that helps move this project, right? They're both invested in the bigger project that they yeah. each sacrifice in their own way. Yeah. And I guess that they've like in the premise of the show, which again, we've, we might see as Jewishly problematic. They've sort of given up directly on their own salvation in order to save humanity, which may or may not, you know, initially they went back to earth to try to save other specific people. And even if they couldn't save themselves, so maybe they'll wind up and we know they will, you know, in the end. I guess, you know, again, my own anti me thing that I can't fight is this sense of you have to see the past you, you know, situated in those friendships as as something distinct from you now. And so, so again, I like how you're saying, Chidi is saying that, like, if I go back to being that, like, in that situation, I'm going to be that person, that version of me. And so I guess, yeah, at each phase, you have to either you have to either develop who you are through the context of the friendships of this time, or I don't know exactly how I'm trying to say this, or, you know, you can't just try to relive the, you know, the friendships of the, the past and who you were in those. Right. Maybe, Look, so maybe, I have, maybe I'm agreeing with him. I don't know. Now I can't figure out where well, that's <laughs> the That's the piece of, you know, the cheaty ICME. There are things that I do that shoot myself in the foot. <laughs> with friends mm-hmm. you know and i know them you know i know because some of these things like happen you know there were things i have friendships that I had to overcome because of things that i did and partly i have to get myself in the right mindset to you know to not do that to connect you know to, to <laughs> you know just as cheaty saying like if i fall, you know if i fall if i become the cheaty i was then this is going to be a disaster and i be he didn't think he could be the new cheaty Mm-hmm. Or he can get through it. But, you know, some of that is, you know, especially with lifelong friendships, where you overcome rough patches. You forgive people for their mistakes, but then the people who made them have to, like, work through them and posture differently. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, sitting behind the, the teaching that you gave is this idea. I don't even know if we've used the words like chaver is the Hebrew word for friend, chavruta, which is usually understood from the same root as a, as a study, a Torah study partner. Yeah. But I think standing behind that is the idea that, that, you know, not everyone is that person for everyone. And there's either you have to go find it or someone has to help you find it. I was thinking just today in preparing for this conversation that some of the most interesting stuff I would do, whether I was teaching Talmud or whether I was teaching American history, was to try to to pick people to match to study study something together. Yeah. Not only because I thought they sort of like could help each other read something, but because their being at at the table facing each other could, you know, could be could be a good ingredient of a relationship. And so people looking out to see you know, who could that be? You know, and usually there were there were things that were never going to work. There were two people you never wanted together. You know, I'm not sure I would have put Tahani and John together, right. you know, or if I would have tried to work around that. But uh, what happens when you go through your class list and you pair off everybody else and, it, and it's perfect for what you want, your educational goals and Tahani and John are left? Yeah. <laughs> so you put them together because 
it's going to make like that's not going to work as well you think although you could be surprised but mm. works for the rest of the class so let's see what happens for the next two weeks <laughs> yeah and there is a sense and i wonder if this is in a way a piece of the the uh, the good place current experiment theory that is articulated by actually our friend rachel tesler lopatin who who said that if you put any people around a shabbat dinner table and and you're not in a hurry that's that it will eventually work for every person who's there, regardless of who's sitting next to whom. Mm. It may not be, you know, in terms of enduring, but at least in that, you know, relationally, what will happen in that moment. And I've really always thought about that. Is there truly anything that's impossible if you if you really pay a little attention yeah. to, the, to the architecture? And so that's why I'm not like tremendously bothered by the the sense of kind of social engineering that's going on here is that I think it, it you can responsibly try to to put people together and and with the hand you're dealt like if you're a camp organizer or if you're a school teacher like you don't get to decide who's in your class just with that as a given you then get to work you right. get to work on who you have uh, sometimes you get luckier than than other times with what it's easier right. sometimes it's not possible but there's also the balancing goals i know as a teacher like i wanted everyone to have the experience of working with everybody because there's something about building that resilience that you get from working with people who are difficult for you to work with and right and and you build skills from learning from different people right and experience that and i also wanted people to have the experience like when they graduate to be able to say see that person over there that's my favorite mm. you know that's the person you know and i always had the debate like you know when i had groups of kids for multiple years it would happen at a different time with different classes and some of them not at all but at some point the the hive mind of the class would say we found our chavrutas, and we mm. just used the ones we found. And, you know, I'd have to make sure it works for everybody. And then there were some groups that would say, it's too stressful for us to pick. You pick, <laughs> and we'll switch every three weeks, and we'll live with that. And, like, you know, the social contract was different with different groups, but some of it was about how do we navigate these spaces? You know, how much, you know, do the groups know themselves? How much does the educator have a role the architect the educator have a role but those decisions like matter right and like michael said you step back and you observe you know i want to step back eleanor can be the front person because i want to observe mm -hmm. so i could figure out like how to craft like the next thing to help you know reach our goals and that in a less demonic way is <laughs> <laughs> but what you know, educational institutions are doing and probably thoughtful workplaces and, uh, you know, lots of spaces. Mm -hmm. Well, this is really wonderful. And I, I came in today thinking that so much of the description of the kind of interpersonal dynamics and how it affects human behavior comes more from social psychology a lot of the time than it does from either philosophy or religious philosophy in terms of the articulation. And so much of social psychology is about the negative, how groups how groups ruin it or go off the rails no. or, or influence people in the wrong way. And I, I appreciate that through a bit of a spiritual lens and through some of the the teachings you you got us to that we were able to, uh, to go some places I didn't expect. So thank you, Elliot. Sure, it's a pleasure to be here. And we will do this again in season four. I would love to. It's fun being an occasional co-host. <laughs> I just and, had, I had reason to sign an email to someone that way. As Elliot, a, occasional co-host. <laughs> that is wonderful. Podcast, well, we, yes. we are looking forward to being with all the listeners in our next season as well. And, uh, and we'll all be talking soon. All right. Take care. You too.
And that's all for this episode and this season of Tove. Thank you for listening. If you want to be sure to catch the start of our season four, subscribe on your favorite app or check back on our website, tovegoodplace.com. There you can find the texts we discussed as well as Jewish terminology we use and some links to deeper dives. We'd love to be connected on social media at tovegoodplace and send us questions and ideas by email to tove at tovegoodplace.com. Elliot Goldberg is on Twitter at Elliot underscore Goldberg with two T's. And he's part of the rotating team that emails about a page of Talmud every day from myjewishlearning.com where you can subscribe. I'm John Spirosavet, and I write at rabbijohn.net, and I'm on social media at rabbijs3. Thank you again for taking the time to listen, think, and hopefully chuckle with us. Now, go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.